Good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 3. Uh, this is, we're just continuing on through this wonderful, wonderful book. And our text this morning is really unique. Uh, it's unique because it displays one of these, the literary genius of Mark and, and how he got this message across. And it's what's known as a sandwich technique. I know, if you weren't hungry, you're hungry now. Uh, but what happens is, there's this story that begins. You'll see this. And, and then suddenly, it's interrupted by a second story. And it's going to go through the entire story before it comes back to the first story. And when you read that, you're thinking, okay, the translator's got some things messed up here, right? Or you're thinking, well, maybe Mark had ADD, you know? Uh, but, but that's not what's happening at all. And it seems like story one and story two have nothing to do with each other. The characters are different. It seems that, the, you know, what they're saying is different. But what we find is, when we really get into it, that Mark is showing that both of these are pointing to one theme. Or even more than one theme, but he's capturing something. And he's, he's wanting his audience to pay attention. Because what is being said here is so important. So the ministry of Jesus has grown. We saw that last week. You remember the, the multitudes, these, this huge crowd has come out. So here in our text, beginning in verse 20, it says, And he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. Okay, I don't know how big a crowd has to be before I couldn't eat. But it's got to be big. It's got to be big enough to hold my hands down, is what I'm thinking. So, we notice that once again, the crowds are here. And once again, we see they're crowded into Jesus' home. Now, usually we always see these crowds. Mark shows the crowds as being an obstacle a lot of times. And this time, it's the obstacle of eating. See, even God's concerned about that. Uh, but here we see that, that they're in here once again. They're crammed in there. Hopefully this time they won't put a hole in the roof, if you remember that particular story. But, this is, but what's really interesting is this, this group that just shows up outside the house. Listen to verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying... He is out of his mind. Is that what you would have expected from the parents of Jesus? Or the, the mother of Jesus and his siblings? And, and, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's, it just seems odd to us. And it tells us something. One thing it shows us is that Jesus did not go around healing his, his classmates. Right? You know, he didn't get up, you know, on, on the day at school where, you know, you tell what you want to be when you grow up. He didn't say, I want to be the son of God. That's not what happened. And they don't seem like they're real proud about it, you know. Uh, Mary did not have a bumper sticker on the back of her donkey that said, I am the proud parent of the Messiah. In fact, we see something right the opposite. And, and for us, it's like, wait a second, what about the, the angels, you know, at before his birth and all this kind of stuff and, and it's like surely you know and, 
but we don't see this. So I want you to just imagine, okay, to kind of put you into a mind frame of it. Uh, let's just say you have a sibling or a child who turns 30 years of age. And they've been working for a furniture company. But all of a sudden, they begin this ministry. And it's really growing crowds. And they're saying some things that, that the religious leader, they're, that they're preachers and, and people that they respected growing up, that it goes against some of the things. And they're saying that, that what Jesus is saying is blasphemous. And, and you just, and it's like, you know, Jesus had no formal training for ministry like the, the scribes. He was not a, a, even a part of the Levitical tribes. It, it, here's this guy. And, and, you're think, and so it's like, okay, if you had a sibling or a child who suddenly does this out of nowhere, then you're probably going to think he's lost it. Or the way it was put in the text is, he's out of his mind. And that's a strong word. It means that he is mentally deranged. And what they've come to do, it says there in the text, they've come to seize him. They've come to stop him. And that word is stronger than, hey, listen, we want you to come home. Come on, won't you go back home with us? No, 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 no. They have come to bind him, to restrain him, to physically bring him back. So I want you to keep this in mind because, as we said... Mark's going to change the story. So verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. Huh. Jesus is having a rough day. His family thinks that he's crazy. The scribes think that he's possessed by Satan. So now Jesus is going to talk. Beginning in verse 23. And he called them to him and he said to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. So Jesus responds here with this common sense parable. He, he puts the question back on them. And, and so it's something like this. Well, how can Satan, who has his work out here that he's doing with his demons... Uh, why would he go out and give Jesus the power to cast out other demons who are doing his work? And, and we see that, and it's like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. And it's like, how can these, these scribes, educated scribes, come to such an illogical conclusion? Because they're doing damage control. The crowds have gotten bigger. And they cannot deny the power that Jesus has. You just can't deny it. It's, it's that powerful. And they know it. So what do you do if, 
if you can't deny something um, as being there, then and you don't like it because look, we're not going to let this 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 thirty-year-old maverick come along and and speak out against you know us and our traditions. So the only thing they could come up with, well, this power then comes from Satan. That was the best they had. That was the best they had. Now pay close attention to verse 27. Because what he's saying is, <laughs> this is so interesting. He says, listen, let's just say there's this house. And inside this house, there's this really strong man. And you want to go in there and you want to plunder that man's house. That strong man is not going to let you just go in there and start taking things out of the house. If you want what's in that house, the first thing you have to do is you've got to bind and restrain the strong man. Then, once he's bound, you can go in and get whatever you want. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is the strong man, the stronger man, who can go in and bind the strong man. And, and if you notice the, the term Beelzebub, we, we looked at this a little deeper in class, but it's basically, it means a, a, one of the aspects is the house or the dynasty of Baal. The Son of God has come and invaded the house of Satan. That's what he says is happening here. He has come to liberate humanity from the kingdom of darkness. He's come to liberate them from this power of evil that is in our world. We are living in Satan's domain. The Bible says some interesting things. It refers to him as the ruler of this world, that he is the God of this world. It takes us back to the garden, the snake. The snake rule, rules that evil system that is in opposition to God. But it wasn't always like that, was it? Because we know that Adam and Eve, in the beginning, that, that God blessed them. And, and that they had dominion. They, they, they could subdue the earth to subdue the creation itself. But we know that they chose to sin. And because they sinned, rather than ruling over creation, they became ruled by one of its creation, the serpent. And isn't it interesting, he's called the beast of the field. Instead of showing dominion over creation and subduing creation, they allowed creation to have the opposite effect. And ever since then, ever since that fall, the snake has had dominion and, and has been ruling uh, in our world. God has intervened in various times, but that's the whole purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world. So they sent. And so, so Jesus came to bring about the kingdom of God. So that... There is another kingdom in this world besides the kingdom of darkness. And what Jesus does is he comes and he is, he is releasing folks. 
He is delivering people out of this kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, really powerful verse. It says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Listen to this. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. And we have forgiveness of sins so Jesus cast out demons and it was a way of showing that the kingdom of God has is breaking into our world and, and what we find is that there is this uh, this this kingdom is being pillaged this house of Satan is being pillaged one demon possession at a time the temptation of Jesus once again Jesus is conquering the strong man. He is restraining the strong man. He's plundering his house. Now, the cross is going to be the, the thing that's going to bring this fatal blow to the head of the snake. But he's not dead yet. He's as good as dead, but he's not dead yet. And when the second coming of Christ, then finally things are going to be brought and this new heavens and this new earth is going to occur but until then he says that we can come and and be a part of the kingdom of the Son we don't have to be a part of the kingdom of Satan any longer and when we read Mark and we read about these things that we easy for us to just you know pass through well Jesus cast out another demon no this is another means in which he is binding the strong man it is there to give us hope it is there to give us uh, a sense of peacefulness and yet and yet as great and as powerful as that is some people choose to remain in the kingdom of Satan it's like why why would we do that They don't call themselves devil worshipers. That's who you may think of in the kingdom of the devil. They're not devil worshipers. They're just simply people who were like Adam and Eve, and they wanted to determine between what is good and evil. They wanted to be their own God. And to show you just how sneaky and and just how deceptive Satan is. Adam and Eve were already like God. They already had been given dominion. They are the ones who could subdue the earth. They were vice regents with the Creator. The snake makes us believe that the Creator is the one who wants to enslave us. That somehow He's holding back on us. We are subject to God, it's true. But what many people don't realize is He wants to make us kings. He wants to crown us. Determining our own sense of good and evil 
does not make us gods. In fact, when we determine what we believe is good, then we usually end up hurt. Or we discover loss. Or we have only this, this, this passing happiness that just doesn't last. Our world encourages sin. The domain of Satan, it encourages people who are out here and they're confused. They're confused about a lot of things. And rather than showing people the wisdom of God, the, the very thing in which God wants to, to rise us up, we say, look, no, you determine what's good. You determine what's right. And you determine whatever confusion you have, you decide what is right or what's wrong. And that's the world we live. The Bible is seen as this narrow-minded book that only wants to suppress the happiness of humanity. Satan domain, it, you see it in our world right now, it does everything it can to kill God. To silence his word in our country, in our state, and in our communities. We must share the truth. The truth is that the Son of God has come and he has found the strong man and he has been plundering his house for over 2,000 years. He's rescuing humanity from darkness. While Satan is defeated, he still has enough venom to inflict lots of pain. We need to be very aware. It's like a snake, you know, and I hate snakes. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you can hit it over the head and, and it may be the fatal blow uh, but until it's dead, which for me, that's, I wait at least three days. Uh, but until it's dead, that thing can make one final lash out at you. You don't trust a snake, I'll just tell you that. So the arrival of the kingdom of God, it's only the beginning. But what God wants us to do is to enter into this battle. It, the war is already won, but we now join in this spiritual warfare that is happening. And he gives us armor. He gives us spiritual means in which we can, we can, we can overcome the snake. Let's keep going. Oh, it's, it's good now. You ready for this? This is the one that will give you nightmares. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. Hallelujah. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is a guilt of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Folks, these verses have scared more people over the years probably than anything else. It's referred to as the unpardonable sin. And if you're here this morning 
and you're saying, you know what, I, I'm not sure. I think I might have committed the unpardonable sin, and, and you're worried about it. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to relax, because that means you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Because that means you have the ability to repent. The unpardonable sin is one that there is no repentance. That you see everything that God has brought forth, and, and yet you just, you just absolutely just will not see it. And, and it's not one of these things, well, you know, it's a one-time deal. All right, you remember the Apostle Paul? He says, look, at one time I was a, a blasphemer. He is a guy who at one time was trying to destroy the cause of Jesus. To destroy his own disciples. If anyone would have had, you know, you threw the unpardonable sin tag on, wouldn't you have said it would have been the Apostle Paul? But you see, he had this intervention with Jesus. Or Jesus had an intervention with him. Now had Paul continued not to believe, okay, but it's not a one-time situation where it's like, oh man, I really messed up here. That's, that's not what's happening here. In fact, we may think the unpardonable sin, well, it's not anybody in here, it's atheists. Right? That's got to be the unpardonable. It's got to be, uh, you know, hardened sinners. But then Mark says, ah, look back at the text. It's the religious leaders. And what that is showing us, and we talked about this a little more in, in class, it is pride and self-righteousness that does more harm to the grace of God than anything else. The greatest enemy of grace the very people who judge other people of blasphemy were being warned by Jesus of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They saw the work of the Spirit before them that had been, Jesus had been empowered and they said that the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of Satan. That's the unpardonable sin. Okay. You want to go back to story one? Whether you want to or not, Mark is. So verse 31. And his mother and brothers came. Ah, we're back to them. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. We're at the bottom of the sandwich, right? And so we're back to the first story. In the very first story, we see that the family of Jesus, they've come, and they want to seize Jesus. That here in verse 31, they sent, and they have called for him. And now we see again in verse 32 that they're outside, and they're seeking Jesus. 
It's a word that's used 10 times in the book of Mark, every single time. It is those who have come to try to control the mission and the work of Jesus. Every time. Story two, or, or so story, story one here, it's about the family, and they want to obstruct the mission of Jesus. And if we look at story two, isn't it the same thing? They want, they're putting this stuff out there that this is coming from Satan, and they too want to obstruct the mission of Jesus. But story two also has something in there for us, and it shows us that Jesus is the one who binds the strong man. Why is that important to story one? Because it shows that these people have come to bind Jesus, and we can throw the scribes in there too, but it says Jesus will not be bound, not even by his own family, not even by the, the greatest of the religious leaders of the day. He will not be bound, but what he has done is he has bound the strong man. Jesus cannot even allow his mother and his brothers to take priority of this new community. So the true family of God, when we look at this, the true family of God are those who want to be with Jesus and those who do the will of God. It's not based on your blood. It's not based on your DNA. And what we are supposed to do is we are to join in that fight. There is a man by the name of David Gushy. He wrote a book called The Righteous Gentiles of the Holocaust. And in it, he, he talked about, um, you know, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, and, and how they just, they referred to themselves as righteous, but they, they didn't step up. And according to his studies of the Holocaust, before the war, uh, and there were 300 million, by the way, 300 million non-Jews under Nazi occupation. 90% of those said they were Christians. 60% of those said that they were very, or at least somewhat religious, and yet less than 1% tried to save Jews. You know, it's easy for us when we look at our past and we say there were injustices. We readily look back and say that was wrong. And we can say, I'm so glad that, you know, that we weren't a part of that or, or I'm glad that those days are over. And, and we just feel so good about ourselves. But what about the injustices that are happening in our world now? And we're very tempted to look the other way. We're very tempted because those who stand up for injustices are not popular. If Mark puts the family of Jesus to the test, then none of us can say, well, I'm in. There is no proxy to becoming a uh, in the family of God. You know, you may have grown up in a Christian home. That's wonderful. But there's, that's not a proxy for you to say, well, I'm a Christian. Even our baptisms. 
as wonderful and beautiful and as powerful as it is, even that can become a proxy for sitting at the feet of Jesus and doing the will of the Father. During the Depression, there was a, there was a unique phrase that came out. It says, I can you. Some of you may remember uh, back in those days. Don't know. Won't call you out. Uh, but we know it as kinfolks. And I, I grew up, you know, small town Alabama. Yeah, you're going to say kinfolks. And, and, but the word originally meant anyone that you love and had an understanding with. Later on, it came to mean your family. That's how we think of kinfolks. But that was not the original. It was anyone that you loved and that you had an affection with. And Jesus really goes back to the original meaning of this I can you. Because it's not based on your DNA. It's not based on who is the mother of Jesus and who is the brother of Jesus. It's based on something greater. It's based on a shared commitment to God and to others. Let's drive this home. If we're looking for God's greater purpose for family, there is some wonderful news here. Jesus loves you, and he came to this earth to free you from darkness. Our world and in our news, and we see this all the time, just over and over again, this, the darkness, the domain of Satan in this world, and, and what is evil is the thing that is held up. In fact, it will be held up and said, this is what's right. Don't be discouraged. Listen, do you hear me? Don't be discouraged and don't give up. Because for over 2,000 years, Jesus has been plundering the house of Satan. And if you are his child, if you are in his family, you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. And you may be here and you're one of those that's like, I want to know more about this. Listen, we want to do that. We want to share this with you. We want to tell you about Jesus because it's the most powerful message in all the world, I promise you. And there's hope. We're out in our world. I don't feel hope. I don't feel a sense of, of unity. I don't feel a sense of contentment. Those things can only be found in the one who created the world for, its, for what it's supposed to be. If we can help you in any way, come now as together we stand and as we sing.